did you know that millions of children could feel safer and be safer with proper training? Developing protocols to standardize the way school staff communicates with kids and others is critical when handling an unscheduled school event. I'm John Paul with ICOM. Today, we have Adam Coffrin, president of Safe Kids, Inc. and the HERO program. He's here to talk about preparing our schools for events of all types through proper training and effective protocol development. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. Uh, my pleasure. Good morning. Great to be here. We are so thrilled that as we approach the beginning of the school season, we have you with us this week to help us talk about protocols and, and the safety that is associated with our school system. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of your background? Sure. So, you know, my background primarily comes from law enforcement. So uh, I'm a native of Southern California, Orange County specifically, and uh, it's been about 20 years in law enforcement in Orange County, uh, working a variety of assignments, everything from our active shooter response team for the agency I work for, which uh, for us started right after Virginia Tech, uh, domestic counterterrorism as it relates to school violence, active shooters, um, street patrol, and all the other types of things that you may imagine in law enforcement. Um, and really had a, a pretty substantial background in responding to these things, working on policy procedures, uh, both within the school districts uh, that were in our city, as well as some of our businesses. Um, particular area I worked uh, was known for, well, shall we say a high tourism area and maybe a worldwide, uh, very well-known destination theme park and uh, resort. Um, and so I had a lot of very unique experience when it came to safety and security and, and preparing for these types of things. Um, and so my background that led me from that into, well, working with kids and safe kids uh, really stemmed from a training, you know, teaching active shooter, both, you know, professionally during my full time job. And I was working for a couple of training organizations, um, you know, nights and weekends. And and again, just really trying to, to you know, share the message of safety and those types of things. Uh, and I got asked by a third grade teacher after a active shooter training course at a private K-8 school. Uh, she was, you know, Adam, you know, all this information is really good and safety and protocols and active shooter response and all these things are great. But everything you just shared, I, well, I can't share with my kids. Uh, so how would you suggest that I, you know, share this very important and critical information with my kids? And I didn't really have a good answer, uh, right? Because if we think about most active shooter trainings and other, you know, again, safety, security type trainings, uh, they're barely adult appropriate, no less kid appropriate in some right. of the fashion in which the way we talk about it. So that ultimately kind of led to safe kids. And so, you know, quite a bit of experience in this realm working with uh, schools across the country and kind of happy to share and get into some of the conversations of what we're seeing all over the place. I think that uh, your law enforcement background is fascinating as, as we talked about during our, uh, many conversations before this, what what do you think it was um, during your time on the street and those special units that that pulled you towards the, 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 the kids in the school, that pulled you towards uh, developing that curriculum uh, instead of, say, any of the other um, specialties within within law enforcement? You know, I, it was very organic for lack of better terms. Um, you know, I mentioned I was teaching and I had that third grade teacher ask me that question, you know, how do I talk to my kids about this? Um, and at the time, you know, this is, gosh, right about 2015 or so, that really wasn't heard of. That's not something, you know, we were just kind of refining the way we, we spoke to and, and taught adults. 
uh, at the time, but not really kids. And, you know, I got asked a question over the next few months, a couple more times by, you know, fifth grade teachers, other, excuse me, elementary school teachers. And, you know, I was, I talked to my agency and, you know, obviously we don't, we didn't talk directly to kids. Um, you know, I talked to the couple of training firms I was working for at the time and, and neither of them really touched on kids. There was a couple of, of quote unquote kids books that they were selling on Amazon, but it was kind of just around lockdown and they weren't, it wasn't great. It wasn't anything substantial that, that, you know, I thought kids could really use or, or adhere or, or attach something to. Um, and fast forward a few months, you know, I respond to one of these events at a middle school. And as you may well imagine, it was not in the classroom in the four walls, which they're used to, where they turn off the lights and lock the doors and get underneath the desk. Right. It was at lunch where there was really no teachers because they were also eating lunch. Um, and again, being the first officer there and responding to this call, and seeing, you know, 700 plus middle school kids uh, every which way of sorts, right? So they were on top of overhangs, they were in bathrooms. They, they had found every nook and cranny and crevice they could possibly find uh, because no one had ever really talked to them about that. We were just simply saying, you know, hey, lock the door and turn off the lights. And that was not an option for them uh, on this particular day. And it was really that incident that started the wheels turning, so to speak, of, you know, we might be missing our target audience, right? We've been talking to teachers and adults for, for such a long time about this, but we've never really talked to kids. And, you know, on a day where something critical happens and those teachers who presumably would know what to do weren't there, it was a complete chaos. And that was kind of the, the, the genesis or the beginnings of, could we talk to kids about, you know, a very scary topic? When you had that first response and you were the first responder nonetheless uh would you would you call i mean would you call that a, a life-changing moment for you yeah that you know no one's ever put it that way uh but yeah it was very much one of those aha moments one of those life-changing moments where you know it, it dawned on me that maybe there was something there's something else can be done here and again i at the time i had no idea it would lead me to where i am today but it was definitely the the, the, the turning point um, of an idea and something that has now you know essentially grown into what it is. Do you think that uh, that the kids that you uh, interacted with during those chaotic moments that led to crazy hours and probably piles and piles of paperwork later on, do you think those kids, if you could go back and and find them? Do you think they would tell you that they wish they had spoken to you the day before that horrible incident? Uh, or, do you, or do you think that their instincts were correct and that's actually what shaped a, 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 a good response? What's your take on, on being able to, to speak with those folks after their life-changing moment, after their uh, defining time? You know, I... I I think the saying, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, probably comes into play here. I think asking, you know, the majority of those kids and probably even the teachers today, hey, you know, if we had the, the ability to know this the day before and learn or train or to do something to help, you know, mitigate the problem, respond better, you know, all the things that, that go into that, I would tend to believe they would say yes. I don't think you find too many people say, hey, if I, you know, if I... <laughs> Knew then what I know now, I, you know, I would probably change a few things. And I think that case would be true there. You know, and I can answer from the perspective of some of our teachers, uh, you know, that uh, have gone through the HERO program and HERO training, have been using it now for a while. Some of them have had, you know, real life incidents prior to the use um, 
of our programming, you know, at previous schools or, you know, even, you know, years uh, before the, the program even existed. Uh, and I hear from teachers oftentimes after, you know, trainings or using the program that, you know, they wish they would have had this information 10 years ago or five years ago um, as a way to maybe change, you know, the response change. And obviously, you know, they, they did what they had to do uh, in their individual instances. But, you know, many teachers say, you know, I wish I would have had better information or, or had been a little bit better prepared, uh, you know, knowing what I know now, if I could go back and do it then. I would imagine you've got a drawer full of some of the best thank you notes in the world. <laughs> I, I have a couple. And, uh, you know, I, you know, this industry is one in such that I really wish we didn't exist. Right. I mean, this we're in an industry, you know, school safety and again, you know, school safety is nothing new. You know, even pre-Columbine school safety was, you know, a topic to, to keep, you know, some other dangers out. But, you know, the, the world we've been given is one in such that I wish this wasn't the case. I wish I was not an expert in what we're talking about. Uh, I kind of wish I was an expert in anything else because this wouldn't be necessary. But, um, you know, the thank you notes that you get usually lead from an incident or the prevention of an incident um, that had happened. And so while, you know, it's what kind of keeps us fueled and in, in going forward and, you know, and obviously a very um, stressful and anxiety driven topic, um, I kind of wish I didn't have the thank you notes because I kind of wish these things had not happened to obviously trigger the thank you notes. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it, when I first introduced you, I described the importance of training and the importance of well-established protocols. And and uh, you have eventually developed this beautiful curriculum, which I've had the uh, the opportunity to, to look through and, and, and compare to uh, other information. And, and it really does seem to be geared towards the way children absorb information. And it really does seem to be uh, geared towards the way teachers need to hear information. So I want to commend you for that. Um, but why don't you tell us exactly what the HERO program is? Sure. So the HERO program, well, HERO is an acronym. And that acronym for K-12 schools is Hide, Escape, Run, and Overcome. Uh, essentially a options-based response that is uh, you're wrapped in, in kind of you know, very easy and some kid-friendly language uh, for preschools and for some younger kiddos, it's hide, escape, run, obey, and obey right away. Uh, those uh, skills really develop around listening to trusted adults, uh, teachers, and parents uh, to stop, look, listen, and respond to dangerous type situations. So we take a couple of different looks at childhood safety, both from the very young parental a point of view for kids just to listen to you before, as we say, the tears and the fears set in uh, to get the safety and to do the right things. Whereas the older kids, as they get older, have a series of options, uh, you know, based on the scenario presented in front of them. Uh, and the program is really, you know, while you know, we talk about active shooter and that's really the buzzword of the day, um, quite frankly, the program is really developed around just violence and, and options, not only violence prevention, but to have good strategies to uh, try to survive violent events, not just active shooters. You know, we've had now, you know, plenty of stories about kids that have had to use their hero skills and teachers as well, uh, not at their school, not on campus. And quite frankly, also not during an active shooter event. Uh, we've had plenty of stories of, you know, people pulling weapons and brandishing weapons, attempted kidnappings at bus stops, uh, you know, the proverbial, hey, I lost my puppy, why don't you come here and help me find it type situations. 
Um, kids are, are connecting their hero skills to the dangerous things in the world around them because, you know, especially with schools, we don't ever say active shooter or gun or knife or explosions or death or threats or any of that. You know, we really talk about the people who hurt and people who help, especially for those young kids. And to start to qualify that, you know, should there be a hurtful person around you, we can do these things to stay safe. And kids have really uh, taken those skills as a life skill beyond the walls of their classroom. So it's taught, as I said, through a series of lessons and stories uh, for the younger kids, the older kids, a little bit more, um, you know, problem solving and group based work uh, in the classroom. Uh, but it's really to instill, you know, what we call kind of the final part of safety. Um, you know, in these kids, because we learn about earth, you know, I grew up in California, right? Earthquake drills, if you have tornado drills, right. you know, all those different types of things. We've been doing fire drills forever. Uh, and we take, you know, violence now as kind of this third and kind of what we say, kind of final component of a skill set that kids learn, unfortunately, that they need as they go into life and as they grow older and do other things uh, to equip them, you know, for the, the world and their journey ahead. When you talk about uh, active shooter events and you talk about your training and the protocol, and any violence in school, um, I would imagine that once they have that fundamental basis for survival and their instinct to protect one another as well as themselves, I, I, that's got to translate to uh, fire drills and non-custodial parent interruptions and even things as simple as uh, you know the, the the teacher having a medical emergency. So your your protocol and your training is specific to a certain type of violence. The concepts can translate to a a, a wonderful school experience, whether and hopefully never experiencing any of those things, but still making themselves available to those medical emergencies and those other um, more targeted incidences or unscheduled events, as I like to refer to them. Uh, and what kind of feedback do you get from curriculum specialists who look through your training and see how well it translates across those boundaries? You know, I couldn't agree with you more. The interesting byproduct that we've seen from the program and, you know, some of it was somewhat intended, <clears throat> some of it has been unintended, uh, has just kind of manifests itself as kids are using it, uh, is exactly what you said. They're taking these skills and they're, they're seeing them as like critical life skills, right? And Again, that's terminology that a second grader doesn't necessarily have, but what they're seeing right. and what they're starting to understand is I can use these skills not only for myself, but for my friends, my family, those types of things. Uh, we've seen it transferred uh, to some different events where kids are realizing that this is probably a troublesome, this is a dangerous type situation. And again, not necessarily active shooter, but like you said, medical emergency, those types of things and knowing that they can get help, right? So, you know, one of the things we talk about is, you know, talking to strangers and forever in a day, we've told kids not to talk to strangers. Well, we talk about breaking the rules and parts of the program talk about breaking the rules. You know, what types of rules do kids have to break? Well, you might have to ask a stranger for help if, you know, your teacher or your parent is having a medical emergency when maybe you would never otherwise talk to, you know, a stranger. And so it's the program does give some uh, permissions to break certain rules, uh, you know, when it comes to school safety, maybe having to leave campus because something has happened or being in an upper grade or lower grade classroom or being in a teacher lounge by yourself, running in the hallways, right? All the, all the, the big right, no-no, right. so to speak, uh, in schools. And so kids we've seen can, has, have translated some of that, uh, into, you know, being able to communicate. And when it comes to the curriculum folks, 
you know, the program we say is a little bit of a chameleon because what starts to happen is it starts to kind of take and form based upon the school community. So some teachers have reported it's much more like a social emotional learning platform where kids are, are engaging more. And we see this a little bit more in the, in the middle school and in high schools where you know, kids are having critical conversations. They're old enough to understand what's going on in the world. They're frightened by it. And they're having more substantive conversations you know, with their teachers about safety and just safety in general. And we hear teachers saying that they feel like they're more of a, an advocate for safety, uh, that their own anxiety goes down, being able to talk about it and seeing a little bit of a closer you know, student-teacher relationship when it comes to these types of things. Um, so it's kind of taken on a little bit of a character of its own in, in, you know, in some cases where kids feel empowered. They can share things. They can talk about things. They know that things aren't feeling quite right. And what can we do about that? So it's definitely, as we see the program grow, um, has definitely taken on a few different forms. I, I think that child empowerment and, and giving a child an opportunity to, like you said, break the rules, feel empowered to make a decision that they know and feel is right, uh, is critical to allowing them to, um, uh, to exercise those things confidently. Right. To, to take that action, to go into the teacher's room, to go to, you know, cross some boundary that they otherwise wouldn't do because they know at that moment, in that instance, that's the smartest thing to do. And when you take that away from kids, all you're doing is, is uh, causing them to second guess themselves, I think, in perpetuity. So I, I think your curriculum is is beautifully uh, vetted and founded in, in common sense. So uh, my kudos to you. But I do want to rewind a little bit to the concept of just establishing protocols. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this, uh, you and I, you know, offline, as it were, where we've talked about having a protocol that has to be practiced over and over and over again before the, uh, the unscheduled event, if you will. And... And, and so what are the tools that staff and students need to have access to in your mind to to help make those pr protocols a day to day, uh, a day to day commonplace thing that they become so familiar with that when it's time to notify somebody or close a classroom or whatever it might be, they're comfortable doing it at, uh, at a moment's notice. Well, you know, I think when we look at the how comfortable or routine certain things are, uh, you know, there's some different spheres or I guess layers might be a better way to put this behind that. So you have the least used layer. And so that would be things like, you know, all your emergency equipment that's maybe in a shed um, that, you know, is for a tornado or an earthquake or, you know, an event that probably doesn't happen very often. You know, we go out to the shed once a year and make sure the batteries are good and the emergency water and, you know, food and it's all the things that we need, but we don't necessarily use on a daily basis. And so we might practice once or twice a year, have a little bit of a refresher on it. Um, and if the time were to ever come where that unscheduled event would show up, you know, we know here's the shed, here's the way to get in. This is, we know it's stocked full of things. And that's, that's one. And that's, again, we don't use that a lot, but we know that it's there. We know how to access those things. Uh, that next layer is really where we see things are used more commonly, but maybe not necessarily for emergencies. So we think about like door locks, right? We, we lock our doors every day, but we probably don't always lock them in crisis where we're under stress, but it's a mechanism. It's a function we do all the time using uh, communication. So whether it's two-way uh, radios or, you know, walkie talkies, or as, you know, most teachers call them their walkies, 
Right. Um, you know, if they're using a communication-based app, right? So if they're using some sort of app on their phone, there's, you know, a variety of them to communicate daily back and forth on, you know, with chatter amongst, you know, the teachers or the office, and maybe that's where they get their their daily information. Obviously, their computers, um, and, you know, any virtual classrooms that they have or one, you know, uh, classroom phones. So these are all pieces of equipment and things that they use on a daily basis, but probably not always under stress or they're not always using them under crisis scenarios where, all of a sudden something that you use every single day becomes incredibly hard to use because you're flustered and there's adrenaline stress and there's all kinds of things going on. Um, and so that kind of layer intersects with, you know, the crisis things, right? So, you know, if we have door locks that we can lock remotely, well, we probably don't always hit the remote door lock button to, to get all the doors locked. Uh, do we have a panic button or a fire alarm, you know, switch They're everywhere, but we've been told forever not to pull them. Um, and so there's a little, <laughs> there's a little bit of, you know, taboo around, you know, now it's time to break those rules and it because we do have a fire it is time to pull a fire alarm um or we do have an intruder on campus and it is time to hit that panic you know uh, emergency button um and so there's things that kind of to the opposite side that are used in conjunction with things that we use all the time but we don't always use them in that fashion um and when it comes to preparing for these types of things you know it's important to you know more than once a year uh you know practice to make sure that anything that we're using still works, right? The things still work, they still function. Uh, something has been moved or lost or changed or disconnected or logged out of or whatever. Um, it goes for, you know, both uh, the teachers as well as, you know, the administrative staff, uh, especially when it comes to apps and some of these other things. So, you know, training how to use it. I can't tell you how many times I've seen teachers use their app on their phone that they use for normal communication, but then in crisis mode, uh, they're fumbling to try to get into it. They're not really sure what buttons to push. Uh, and so even something that is used on a routine can have some challenges under a little bit of stress. Personally, I get in front of schools frequently when we're doing, um, whether it's a, a sales event or a deployments training or things like that. And, and I am constantly saying, use use your radio on a regular basis to ask for normal things so that when you're asking for something that's not normal, you know how to use the, the device. And and whether it obviously, you know, whether it's an app on a phone or a panic button or even a wall mounted phone, you know, hopefully it's it's going to be an ICOM radio. Uh, but whatever it might be, using it, testing it and and perfecting your your understanding of, of how it works is. Uh, is critical. And just a simple example is that I think I was in one school one time and their training program involved um, uh, hitting a button on the phone and then grabbing the handset and everybody goes in the closet. Well, at no point did it ever occur to anybody that the uh, wire on the phone did not, uh, <laughs> didn't reach the closet <laughs> in every classroom. So as a result of that, uh, you know, there were some, there were some, secondary issues. But, um, you know, I, I think back to stories like that and I, I think, you know, using the, the radio or the other device is, is part of that protocol, not just knowing what to say, but knowing what channel to say it on or who's listening to it or, or those types of things. So, uh, so hopefully in your curriculum conversations or, or, um, or things, you know, there's there is a section uh, that that can be uh, highlighted, perhaps, 
to say, you know, know your technology and understand what happens when, when you, when you pull that alarm, when you press the panic button, when you dial that 911 or when you say certain things into the radio, you know, that, that all has to be very, um, practiced, right? Yeah. And, you know, so one of the things that we bring up, uh, you know, we touch base on in the curriculum is usually during the overcome lesson. Uh, and again, it's kind of, it's, you know, usually about lesson four, sometimes five. Um, and the interesting thing with that is, you know, we say, look, this is the time of, of any time of any of these things, like this is probably the worst day you're going to have. If you have to physically and mentally overcome Vader or intruder, this is going to be the worst time you're ever going to have. And so we know that with these things going on, let's make sure that the kids know what else is going to be happening. So, so we say, you know, test your, your alarms, test everything that is mer emergency specific, right? So kids know what that alarm might sound like. They're going to know what it's going to look like. They're going to know. So they have some recognition because I don't want them to have the only time that they hear whatever this alarm is that they're all confused because it's not the fire drill. It's not the, the bell to change periods. It's not the bell to come in from recess. This is something very, very different. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things is testing these things. Make sure you're logged in. Um, during our escape lesson, we talk about things that are locked and blocked. Uh, and that's more of the physical infrastructure. So have keys change. Has, was your window painted over over the summer? And now it's painted shut. Uh, do we need to right. push that? Uh, has everything been, you know, uh, greased up and nothing's rusted shut, doors still open. So, you know, we, we put in some touch points along the way, but to your point about using uh, technology, especially the radio, uh, yeah, I, you know, I used radio for 20 years in the most crisis communication you can imagine. Um, and the interesting thing that I saw both from again using two-way radios forever, um, but also other people who are obviously in the same field all using the same equipment, is that some folks will actually see it almost as their lifeline that, you know, they will grab that radio almost um, almost like a security blanket uh, because they know when they get on the radio helps coming. Right. They know that there's somebody on the other end that's listening. They know that help is coming. Um, and for schools that use their two way radios, I've seen this kind of translate from police work in the education where if it's technology they're used to, that they know when they use it, that help is coming, whatever it happens to be, right? If they need help from another teacher or, you know, the janitor or whatever, that under crisis, they're going to use it the same way. And they, you can see that that becomes their lifeline. They, they will forget everything else, but they will, gosh darn it, have that radio in their hands. And that's the last thing they're going to give up um, just because they have practiced, they've used it, and they know that this is where help comes from. So whatever that is, if it's on a phone or a phone app, the phones are going to do the same thing. People will cling to those because they know this is how help is coming. Um, and while that's it's a little bit of a uh, you know a double-edged sword, uh, I would much prefer to have that where we know that help is coming. We know we have good you know two-way communication. We have things as opposed to you know teachers or folks that are lost where the radio is sitting there and they're not using it. Their phones over here they're not using it. Uh, all these different things and nobody knows what's going on. Nor is any help coming. That's probably the worst case scenario. You know when we talk about uh, two-way communication. Well, and, and we, we, we call it two-way communication because that's the way we very often refer to radio equipment. But two-way communication real, or in reality is, especially in that situation, teacher calls for help. Somebody on the other end says, it's coming. It's X number of minutes away. Give me more information. And the teacher really – so that's, that is true two-way communication. And uh, – and we always hope 
that it is training that nobody ever needs. We sincerely wish that um, this conversation didn't need to be happening. No offense. Uh, right. Yeah, how, I couldn't agree more. How happy would you be to, to, to be, you know, selling uh, nursery products at the local home, home uh, uh, product store or some other career that isn't this. But unfortunately, like you said earlier, this is where we are. So let's, if it's where we are, then let's take it seriously and do the training, write the protocol, edit the protocol to accommodate your, the building, the, the human beings that are involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and, uh, and keep our children safe. And I say that as a strong believer in your program, uh, but also as a father, a father of children that are in grade school. And I, I just hope that every educator that is out there listening can uh, adopt something from what we've said, hopefully learn more about the protocols that are out there and adopt them into the new school year. Uh, I, I am so grateful to have had your time and all of our conversations. Adam, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Radios in Action. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for joining the show. Please, if you have a chance, follow us on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Spotify, Apple, and all things radio, uh, and for more episodes of Radios in Action. <laughs>